Welcome to the Multifamily Mavericks Podcast, hosted by Josiah Smelser and Megan Greathouse. This is your one-stop shop for building and growing your multifamily business. Join us on a weekly basis as we crack the code to multifamily investing and scale up to financial freedom. And now your hosts, Josiah and Megan. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Multifamily Mavericks. I'm Megan Greathouse here with Josiah Smelzer. Josiah, how are you doing today? Doing awesome. Um, I'm excited to have another episode of this podcast uh, that we're doing. And um, yeah, just still grinding away, trying to get my first multifamily deal. I've been running (laughs) some number, ran some numbers on one yesterday, talked to an off-market owner that wants to sell that is upside down in his property. Um, so we're trying to to figure that out. Um, and he's upside down a good Ooh, bit. That's a tricky one. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, I actually feel really bad for the guy. But um, anyway, still working hard on, on that angle and got some good stuff coming in from brokers. So I think it's a matter of time. But um, yeah, what's going on with your business? I mean, pretty similar situation. I went and looked at a 24 unit today. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's really borderline. I've got to dig in even deeper than I did before I went to look at it to, to try to understand how this might make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or maybe it doesn't. And I just got to walk away because you, you can't buy something just to say you bought it. You got to make sure it's a, at least a decent deal. So, But it was nice to get to go look at that 24 unit because this was the one that I mentioned in one of the other episodes or intros, uh, this, the seller didn't even want to show it to me at first because I don't have any bigger buildings yet. So (laughs) he kind of sent me this quiz and his initial response was, I don't think she's serious. And the broker I was working with convinced him otherwise, which was awesome. Um, but it's a, it's a different beast. And that's actually something we're going to talk about quite a bit today. Um, today's guest is Alex Felice. He is super entrenched in the online real estate community. He puts out a ton of content through Bigger Pockets on his own website, brokersofchoice.com. He is um, a co-host of a, the From Military to Millionaire podcast with David Perret because they are both veterans, which is how I know them. I'm also a veteran and we've been in some real estate veteran groups and and meetups before. Um, Alex has made the jump just in 2019 from single families into a 24 unit building. And he's continuing on that multifamily path going forward. And we have a lot of great discussion today about despite the fact that it's real estate, despite the fact that there are a lot of similarities, there are also a lot of differences in how this process works once you jump up into the multifamily space. Um, so I think this was a great episode, especially for those who are in similar situations as us. They're really trying to get into just their first or second larger multifamily deal. Uh, we go into some detail about some things to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a great episode. There's some background noise. So just bear with us. The content is really great. Um, and we really, we covered something that's been really of interest to me, a topic that's, that's, uh, I think a lot of people debate on, which is, should you start with 75 units or bigger, or should you start with small multis and scale up from there? And, um, I know there's different schools of thought on that, but Alex is going to walk us through what he's doing to gain momentum and traction. And we're going to, we're going to talk through kind of his journey. So yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. It was, it was super cool to learn from Alex. Cool dude. Got a lot going on and glad we were able to get him on the show. Yeah, for sure. I'm a big fan of Alex and all that he puts out there. You can follow him um, on Facebook and Instagram and his website. Oh, and he has a Bigger Pockets uh, YouTube mini series that he's doing. It's called a mini series. I think that's like something from HBO. 
You know what I'm talking about. He's got a series that he does for Bigger Pockets at this point. Uh, so this guy puts out a ton of great content. And today he shared a lot of great nuggets and tidbits with us as well. So let's get into it. We are here today with Alex Felice. I actually met Alex so far all digitally or online, but through hearing him on the Bigger Pockets podcast, seeing some of what he does over on his website, brokeasachoice.com, he's really active on Bigger Pockets. And then he and I are both veterans and we're involved in a veteran specific real estate conference earlier this year. So, Alex, it is really cool to have you here on our new podcast. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I am excellent. Thank you for having me. And yeah, we get to hang out a lot, you and I, for not knowing each other. I like it. Right. <laughs> Funny how those paths keep crossing, even if it's from, you know, half half the country away. <laughs> I make a lot of my friends on the internet and they start just like this. You know, you, you make friends with somebody digitally and then these circles are small and you end up, you know, we'll end up at a bar at a conference one time. Like that's how it happens. Exactly. And that's the beauty of the information age. So speaking of information, Alex, can you give us a little bit of information and background on yourself? Yeah. So um, I got into single family real estate back in like 2000. Really, it wasn't until like 2016 when I started buying, you know, rentals. Um, and I, it was easier than I thought it would be, right? But I thought it'd be really hard when I started. So I was like, these, these make money. Like we can do a bunch of these. So I was like, let me get, so my original goal was to get 10 in 10 years. And I think it's a very common goal for beginners. They're like, look, I just, I didn't have any big ambitions. I was just like, I just need to, I hated my job. I just needed some, um, to protect the downside. I need stability. And so, um, I had a degree in finance. So I understood the um, finance side and I had, I have a, uh, a history in lending in many different facets of lending. So I was like, look, I know the debt side really well. I found bigger pockets, you know, like a lot of people I like, burned through that podcast and I was like, okay, uh, I'm kind of ready. So I bought, uh, let's see, 16. I, I had a house. I bought a foreclosure in 2014. I moved in I had a rental. So okay, I had two and 16. I bought my third 17. I bought three 18. I bought two, something like that. And then 19, I bought one and, but you know, market changes. So by 19 in my market, it was bustling the foreclosure. Um, assets on the balance sheets of the banks had largely dried up. So we're in long run. It was highly competitive. And so single families just weren't as lucrative as they were in 2014. That's probably not news to anybody. And as you get more of these, you start to realize that single families are really inefficient. They're a really good way to learn. They're a really good way to build retirement. But if you have a really big future in um, real estate, multifamily is the way to go, especially if you want to treat it as a business. Um, Managing 30 or 40 single family homes is just to me, I mean, some people can do it fantastically. To me, I think it's highly inefficient. So I started looking at multifamily, which, um, you know, everyone will tell you, or rather I should say that, uh, the way it looked like to me was uh, multifamily is the same as single family. You just get more doors per transaction. So just do it. I found out that that, I do not agree with that at all anymore. I think they're, they're certainly more alike than different, but uh, it's a layers of complexity are, are uh, exponential. And so in, but in 2019, we bought a 24 unit. And we just crossed our one-year mark. And it's going with a lot of troubles the first year. It is now going fantastically well. Awesome. So thank you for that. It's great to hear the path you've taken so far and that you've made the the big jump. Um, Before we move into a little more of the detail on that, because I do want to hear how you think they're different. I think that's that's big. And that's something that people are always trying to navigate how similar and how different are they. But what, what is your market or what are your markets? Um, I'm in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Gotcha. So and are for, all your, for Bragg. Okay. Gotcha. And are all your properties in that area? Yep. All of them. 
Awesome. Okay. Yep. So yeah, I guess let's dive in a little bit to this. Um, this is the Multifamily Mavericks podcast. Let's talk about that 24 unit. How did you get started when you first decided you were ready to make the jump into something larger? Um, I don't, I don't think I was ready. So I don't think, you know, it's like when you buy the first single family, it's like, you ain't ready. You just got to kind of, you know, take that leap, close your eyes and, and go uh, and go do the best you can. So, and we made a lot of mistakes and, um, and, and I'm okay with that. So it was kind of like this. Uh, I don't want to plug, I don't like to plug my stuff on these shows, but I do a video chat service on my website for free for people who just want to talk to somebody who's in real estate and you can go in there, you can sign up. And so people do it all the time and I'm booked. And a guy comes on there one day and he's like, Hey, help me buy single family homes in the area. And so we, I do that with people all the time. Sometimes they're just friends and sometimes we do business. And so I did that. And then one day he emails me, I helped him buy two or three rentals in the area. He emails me and he goes, Hey, I got a 24 unit in fail that I got a lead on. I want to put an offer in on it. It's a million dollars. I have all the money. I just need you to help me do the transaction. And, you know, I'd be a moron to say no, right? <laughs> and um, it, turned, it turned out to be way harder than that. I mean, that would have been nice, but uh, that was not the case. So, um, so he shows me an LOI. Now, I have a background in sales too, right? I spent a lot of time in sales. And, um, and everybody should practice sales. Everybody's in sales. They just don't know. So I said, look, this LOI is, is garbage. So we tightened that up. We put an offer in. I didn't think they'd accept it. They'd accepted it. And then I was like, okay, now I got to figure out how to do this because I really have no idea. So you got to raise the money, the equity side. So we had to raise $280,000. Now, if you've ever raised money or asked people for money before, that may be hard for you. Um, especially when, you know, a lot of people don't want to take their first shot on you. Like no, or a lot of people don't want to take their, their, their shot on you on your first deal. Like a lot of people are like, yeah, Alex, I want to do, I want to invest with you. Hit me for the second one, just because I don't want to take the chance in the first one. And so I realized that was a, a little bit of a, obstacle that I wasn't expecting. So it was a little bit harder to raise, even only 280,000. It was a little bit harder to raise than I thought. Um, and we made some mistakes in the deal. Um, like it was all one ones. I would never do that again. That was a rookie mistake. Um, but look, we knew the market extremely well. Uh, I knew the market extremely well. I knew it would um, cash flow. Um, we were a little optimistic on projections, but as a career banker, I can tell you that every deal I've ever done has been optimistic on projections. So, um, uh, and, and we had a really hard time stabilizing it because we went in undercapitalized, which I didn't realize till later. That's a big, that is the big mistake. And so don't do that. Um, and we had some troubles with double escrow payments on insurance and cap uh, on maintenance, which I did not expect at all. And so like, um, these things all hurt my cash flow. I was undercapitalized. So I really couldn't get the bad tenants out as quickly as I wanted to because I couldn't afford it. And so we kind of hobbled along for like 10 months. Um, whereas if I had even an extra probably 30 or 40 grand in the bank, I could have kicked all the bad tenants out in the first 45 days and gotten good tenants in there and, and, and put that money to work uh, and gotten it back really fast. So a, a lot of rookie mistakes, but I'm of the opinion, I'd rather have made those mistakes than just had somebody else do it. And I learned nothing. Um, but as of June, our double escrow payments on the escrow, um, uh, on insurance rather, uh, dropped off and now, now it's a cash flow beast. We got most of the bad tenants out. We got the last, the last one or two tenants that are leaving in September 1st. So you said something a second ago that I wanted to circle back to. You said that the single family stuff is really inefficient and it's a good retirement plan. I found the same thing to be true. Um, walk us through why that is. 
Um, let's see. It, uh, interest rates scale with, um, with scale, uh, uh, interest rates scale along with units. So if you get a 200 unit building, that's, you know, $9 million or something like that, right? You get a big property that, that's in a B-class neighborhood. The bank's going to look at that, that and say, that's low risk. That's stable. So we'll give you a low interest rate on it, right? Single families, the only way if you can get low rates, really, I mean, there's always, there's going to be somebody who listens to this and says I'm a jerk because I'm they're the exception. But for the most part, single families, you're going to get a commercial loan um, and you're going to get a, you're going to get a higher rate than I'm going to get on my, on my multifamily because risk scales. Uh, now, single family works when you have Fannie Mae loans and you can get a 30-year fixed, but that means it's going in your personal name and that means you can only get 10 of them. So it just doesn't scale. So if you want to scale single family, that means you're getting inefficient loans. Property management scales. So if you got a property, if you got 10 properties, you're probably paying 10%. Or, you know, I'm sure there's variation across the country. That it's basically 10% for management. Well, you get a single family, a multifamily home, and it's like, you know, get 300 units. I bet you can get that number down to 6%, something like that, 7, 8%. You can get, and since there's more units, um, the efficiency uh, scales well. The transactional costs scale, so it's like go do fifty units, and you're, you're you're probably paying less than you would in the transactional percentage than you are in a single family, which is going to be what six eight percent. So um, the cost to doing these deals and maintaining these deals actually uh, if, as an efficiency, and then that doesn't even consider the logistics, right? Like we all know the deal, right? Fifty roofs or one roof, right? Fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to uh, like you know just driving. I got to go deal with 50 different little drive around addresses. Right. (laughs) Um, and so there's just a logistics and transactional scale that uh, makes multifamily much more efficient. Um, and then you can, and the fact that the bank sees this and says, you'll give you lower rates is really, in my opinion, and again, this is my bias because I'm a banker, um, wherever the bank looks at risk the lowest, that's where you really want to move to because the bank's your partner and the bank is way more conservative than any investor will ever be right. They are tight with that money. Well, they should be. A good underwriter is going to be super tight. They should annoy the hell out of you, right? And so um, the fact that the banks want, uh, the bank's going to do 75% of your, um, your loan with you, right? You want to make them happy. They want to do bigger deals. They want to do lower risk deals. They want to do more stabilized properties, move towards where the money is cheapest. Good stuff. Yeah. And we figured out a little hack on the, on the single family stuff where we put 10 in my name and 10 in my wife's name. So we were able to pull off 20 there. But after that, you're completely maxed Same out. Boat. Yeah. And you're having to go to commercial bank, you know, the commercial side and do a 20 year deal on a single family. And then to your point, you know, t- you know, 20 different utility bills, 20 different locations. Um, the property management typically isn't as efficient as they are on larger deals. And so you start really noticing these economies of scale advantages you get with multifamily. That's the thing that's the most attractive about this to me is get a big deal, get a really great management company in there to execute on the strategy, you know, spend a couple hours a week on the phone with them, uh, managing, uh, managing the managers, if you will, doing asset management. And that's how you achieve financial freedom and time freedom with multifamily. Whereas single family, it's, there's a lot of inertia to each transaction. And owning single family is better than not owning anything, right? But you can only, you know, when I started off in single family, I was like you, I was like, I'm going to get this many single family. This is how I'm going to do it one deal at a time. You quickly realize as you start owning a handful of these things, 
that it's not super efficient. So you could buy one deal with 125 doors, or you could try to buy 125 houses. It's going to take you way longer to buy 125 houses with way more headaches um, because of what you're talking about. So let's also talk about, you said raising the $280,000 was extremely difficult. Um, Talk through raising money on your first deal and how you were able to put that together and some, uh, I guess, issues you faced when going through that. Yeah, so some of the problems were my own. Um, the deal was not as um, spicy as maybe it should have been if I had a I had a small deal because I figured that's what I was in within my talent range. And, um, you know, in some ways, I look at that as a really good thing. And sometimes people would go, you should have gone bigger. If I had gone bigger, it would have been easier. It's like, yeah, but it's also a lot more on the line. It's a lot more earnest money if I mess this up, right? Um, so 24 unit was good for me. I didn't want to tackle too much, but that actually limited the amount of money that I could raise because uh, some people just didn't want to participate in such a small deal. Uh, the other thing was I'd never tried it before. So I started reaching out to my network, which was smaller because I hadn't been so diligent about building that, those soft relationships for like, Hey, look, just so you know, I'm coming, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you in a few months and ask you for a check. So I hadn't had that background, um, that, that base to like, I was just a single family guy. Now people know me cause I'm so popular, but they don't know me for that reason. <laughs> so when you go and hit them for the money, like it's really, it was a, it was a fault of management expectations. So since then, over the last year, it's like, dude, now I hit people all the time. I'm like, hey, just so you know, if you like what I'm doing, get ready for the next one. Get ready for the next one. Get ready for that next one. And so I'm building people in to know that when the phone call comes, um, you know, I'm building that like, oh yeah, Alex told me. And on my website and on these podcasts, like, dude, I'm buying multifamily if you want to get down, um, you know, get ready. And so my network uh, has expanded considerably. So the first one, I look back at 280 to raise and it's like, I could do that. I could do that in one phone call now. Um, and so it's, it, but at the time it was difficult. Right. And the other thing is like, you got stress, right? Like first you got to do the underwriting on your side to make sure it's a good deal. You got to make sure the bank's going to um, give you, you know, it's a momentum machine for the banks too. They're like, you've never done this before. Why would we take our first risk on you? <laughs> so you're dealing with that side, the sellers, you know, they want you to close. So they're putting the pressure on you. Um, it's just a lot of different stuff. And then let me tell you something, the hardest one of all ego baby, right? Cause you're like, <laughs> I really want to close this deal. Right. I really want to close this deal and prove that I can do it. It's like, that's going to get you in trouble nine out of 10 times. Um, so, you know, you fight all these forces and then at the same time you go through this really weird thing. Like you're asking people for money and then like, well, you know, when do you need to buy? I'm like, well, I don't know if it's going to close. So you got this really weird, um, uh, that was a very weird timing thing for me. Um, and again, this, this next time I feel much more confident that, uh, it'll be fine. But when you're new and, uh, you know, I did this deal with five people that have never done one before. So, and I did that on purpose and I like that, but you know, there's a lot to be said for pairing up with somebody who has some experience to just, just the air of confidence to have somebody in the team to be like, yeah, this guy, he knows he'll, he'll make sure we don't get too much trouble. <laughs> uh, but I did it on my own. I like that. That's my style. It did cost me some in mistakes and it cost me some in being able to raise capital easily. Um, but most of the mistakes I made with capital were just not planning properly enough because I wasn't, um, you know, if you have a year out for buying multifamily or if you think you may be a year out, like start now. Just start soft costing, uh, calling people, start um, soft raising, get email email lists of potential investors, start building those relationships. Um, because, I mean, 280 now is no big deal. Some people probably listen to this and be like, 280, you're a sucker, you can't get that much money. But, um, <laughs> but at the time, it was a big deal, right? Because the most I'd ever done was these single family homes that were 60, 80 grand. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I do think you, you're starting to point out how the process even up front feels a little different when you are going bigger and partnering with some folks or bringing some people in as you know money partners. That's something that I've already run into in this process. I'm looking for a 16, 24 unit or greater. And you know, when I was buying these duplexes and four families, I would go to the bank, I would get pre-approved based on all my own financials. No one else was involved. Um, I'd have that pre-approval letter. I knew what I could do, what the money was that was going to go into this because I had it. And then I go and make my offers. Now I've got multiple potential money partners that I've been kind of talking with and and we're trying to figure out what's the right fit and, and what type of deals they want. Um, I'm looking at different deals in different sizes and different neighborhoods have kind of this rough pre-approval, if you will. It's not exactly a pre-approval because it doesn't quite work that way on the commercial side uh, from a bank I already have a relationship with, but there's no way I would be buying a one to $2 million property on my own. Other people are going to come in. So it's like this halfway approval. And it just feels like you're kind of, it's not quite as linear. So maybe tell us a little bit more about your experience with that, what that kind of upfront process was like, and maybe things you learned that are making it easier as you look for this second property. Can you hear me? There you go. Can you hear me? Um, so it, I really don't have a good answer. What you said is right. It's like, it kind of like, it all feels like it's going to fall apart every day and then you close. <laughs> I'm like, oh, how did that work? I mean, it was, it was, it was kind of messy. And I think some of it honestly is confidence, right? Because it goes both ways. When you go to your investors and you don't seem confident, they are not going to be confident to give you the money. Because like I said, they're, they're, they want returns. They don't want to take chances on you. Um, and so you have this thing like, you know, um, well, it's like the same thing. It's the first thing, the first time you buy a um, single family, it's easy because the bank, they do this every day. And so they'll tell you, or the, the broker will tell you, it's like, this is what you do. This is what we do next. Whereas the multifamily, it's kind of like, it's a little bit more, um, it's a little more blind. You may have partners, you may have friends, you should have a network of people who do this and they'll give you advice. But like, it's been very difficult. Even me, a guy with a big network, like it's hard to get people to sit down and go through your whole deal and then tell you, this is what you need to do. This is how you should do it. This is how you sell. This is how you raise money. This is how you talk to the bank. And it's like, yeah, well, they're going to want a piece. If they're going to do all the work, like that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. So you get this, um, it's a, for me, it was a blind leading the blind situation. Um, now we knew the deal was good. So uh, I've been kicking off um, returns to my investors and I, I knew that was going to be the case, but they're really is not linear. And um, uh, the more confident you can go in, the better. So that means in, in retrospect, you know, that means soft raising the money uh, more than you need in advance. So if you have a bunch more pledged, that's another thing, like whatever you need, you need basically two X pledged. So if you need 280, that means that you really need to go out there and raise 600, right? Because when it comes time to write the check, half the people will bail. Or they're right, yeah, I told you 100, but I'll give you 50. So um, there's definitely that. Um, and then also, you know, banks, I, I'm very familiar with the banking system. So, you know, single families, like you said, it's like, here's the loan. We know what it's going to look like. Well, on a commercial, it's like, well, not all banks want that deal. So some banks are like, yeah, that's not, that's not in our wheelhouse. It's a totally different game. And then if it is, it's like, yeah, but we only do... Um, this kind of terms on it. We don't do anything over the 20 years or we don't do anything over 65% and all these things. And so it becomes, um, you have to build those in advance because if you get put the offer and they accept it and then it's like, go find financing and the bank you're used to, you just think, assuming they're going to finance it and they're like, yeah, we don't want that. You know, or like COVID-19 happens and they're like, we're not lending the new, I had a, my, I got a bank down the street. I'm looking at a new deal. I got a bank down the street who I used to work for. I know the, um, the commercial, um, the, the head of commercial lending 
for the region. And I'm friends. I used to work for the board, the head of the board of directors for the bank itself in the state. And I emailed them. I'm like, Hey, I want to go buy this deal. No, like we're not taking on new clients. Flat out. <laughs> so forget all the, the history. You're just a quote unquote new client now. Sorry. I, had, Alex. I hadn't done, that's right. I hadn't done any deals with them before. And so they just, they don't want to take on new clients. So the complexity, the layer of complexity, you know, what Josiah said about like, you know, having a single family transaction of 120 doors is better than 120 transactions. Yes. But it is not that simple. It is the, 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 the 120 door uh, transaction, well, even the 24 door transaction uh, was a far more complicated um, at, you know, ended up in a vacuum for sure. Sure. For me. But it's, it's probably at, at least what's exciting is maybe a 24 unit transaction takes about the amount of time or complexity is for five single families. So you still have some scale happening there, right? So it's, for sure. it's definitely more complicated than one single family, but it's not the same time intensive process as closing on 24 separate single families. So 100%. that's, and it just, it brings new challenges, right? If, if we're all here talking about multifamily investing and obviously kind of blazing trails beyond what those around us might be doing, we're, we're up, probably up for a challenge. Um, but it is so interesting to hear about these differences because I think a lot of people think, okay, take what I did in two and four family and now just go get a bigger, bigger building, right? It is a little different. Um, Speaking of the partnering, because I know that's something that some people do in the smaller sizes, but lots of people don't even bother partnering when they're in the single families or twos and fours. Tell us a little bit about how you structured your partnership with those those folks on the 24 unit. Uh, so syndication is the buzzword that everybody likes to toss around. Well, syndication costs you like 15 grand. Well, in a million dollar building, it's not effective. Um, sure. So... We just did not do that. We just did a JV. I think it costs me, I don't know, 1800 bucks for the legal entity. Uh, we did, we did five people and everybody got a share equal to the amount they put in. I did all, I did not take a cut for the work. So I put in what I put in, which was the biggest share or tied my part, my main partner and I tied for the biggest shares. Everybody else got B class shares. We, what I did was I went to the partners and I said, look, if you put in um, basically 18%, I won't make you guarantee the loan because if you don't know this bank's basically the 20% mark for the bank on commercial deals is where you need a guarantee. And so I said, look, I don't want to have five people have to guarantee this thing because I don't want them to have to run the credit and all this other nonsense. They're, they're just, they're limited partners. Like just leave them off the hook. And they said, fine, do 18%. I said, fine. So I put in a little more. I got my, whatever it is, 23% of the deal. They got their 18%. Everybody's even Steven. I do the work for free and I have all the risk. But that's how I got them to buy in on the first, like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Take a shot on me. I won't, you have to take no risk. You'll get a reward. You get, um, you get a return and I'll work for free. Next one, you're paying me handsomely, but this one I'll, I'm going to, because I know it's a higher risk. You got to shift those, you got to shift those um, incentives around. So how so did you straightforward do? So how no, did sorry, you, yeah. Yeah. How did, so you, you did a JV on this thing. How did you structure the JV is, Everybody splitting the cash flow based on their the percentage they put in, or what? Or how did you go about like using the the profits that are distributed? Yep. Yep. So everybody gets a everybody gets cash flow distributions based on their percentage. So there's a couple of twenty. There's two of us that are twenty three and a whatever, and 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 then twenty three and a half, and then three of us that are eighteen. And so gotcha. that's it across the board, and it's and equity side too. So when we cash out, that's what you'll get. So was there any um, kind of? Very, oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
we were very, I wanted to keep it simple and I wanted to keep it as equitable. Um, I didn't want to have, I just didn't want to have that much asymmetry because I knew I was asking a lot for people. And I also like, you know, uh, I'm a super long game person. So people, they try to get rich in their first deal. And I'm like, dude, I, I'm, uh, this is paid college, except valuable, uh, unlike college. And so I said, you know what, if I do this deal for free and I make a little bit of money, um, you know, my other partners, they get a return, but I know how to do it. That makes me deadly. They can't take that away from me ever. And so for me, um, I took a, you know, I have a, whatever my payout is, um, it's split. It's equity. It's equitable for them, but I have so many, I have so much experience now and I have a track record of paying out profits. It's like, dude, I can use that for the next one. So, you know, kind of like the single family is like just buy one a year, but if you buy it, but with multifamily, it scales way better. So if you buy increasingly bigger deals every year, like by year five, I figure I'll have, I'll be done with multifamily. I'll be retired. So how did you go about operating the, operating the property with this joint venture? Are the, are the guys with 18% essentially letting you guys with 23% operate it and they're just getting their checks in the mail or how does that, how do you structure that? Yeah, I do everything. I do everything. <laughs> I have, I have a partner who, um, you know, I have a history, I have a background in risk analysis and underwriting. Okay. And so I know that side, but I don't like that side. I don't want to go through and do the accounting. I just don't want to deal with it. And we didn't really, the deals, you know, it's not a mega cash. It's a small deal. So I really couldn't afford like a bookkeeper just for this, I, I didn't have the expense side in it. And in the beginning we were like, look, let's just, we'll, 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 you know, elbow grease this thing. And so he's a uh, nerd, my partner, super nerd, mega nerd. And so he's like, dude, spreadsheets all day. This is amazing. <laughs> and so he does the uh, spreadsheet side and then I come along and I can look at a spreadsheet and, and I can say, well, I can pick out the important pieces because I did, I did small business loan risk analysis for so long. And so I can look at the spreadsheet and say, okay, this is what, this is what's good. This is what's bad. This is where we need to um, tighten up. Um, and so basically him and I do it. I do all the investor reports, the other partners. I know that that's like not the way you're supposed to do it. But the other partners, I haven't even met one of them huh. in person. Well, I mean, my, my, my other partners met him, but I've, you know, these are people that we have relationships with basically through email. One of them was in Vegas. One of them was in, a guy in LA, um, but that's the power of the internet. You know, and yep. um, but yeah, they they they're just they're along for the ride. So you said it was a is a twenty four unit deal. Is that correct? Yes. How's uh, managing the deal been? I heard you know above seventy five units. You got the economies of scale advantages on management. Walk us through how you're managing this thing, and and let us know. I, I guess tell us tell us what the downsides to buying one of these smaller deals are. The upside is it's more efficient than buying twenty four single family properties, right? What's the downside of buying a 24 unit versus 125 unit or something like that? Um, I can only speculate because I haven't bought a 125 unit yet, but yeah, you have to get, uh, you have to get local property management. You can't afford a property management on site. Now I have, uh, eight single family homes and they're all managed by the same person. A guy who he's my lifeline. I'm in his building right now that I helped him buy recently. We just moved in. Um, but that was one of my advantages, right? I knew that I had the property management side on lock. I knew it was a guy that I could be very reliable. Uh, I could very reliably trust. I knew he'd do a good job. Um, I knew he'd communicate with me well. This is a guy that I work with every day. So that was my, I knew when I looked at it, I was like, that's being mismanaged. And I also knew that I had not just a property manager, but I had the property manager. So when I went in there, I was like, dude, we can tighten this up. And I also talked to him and I said, look, you know, he knows me. I played the long game. He watched me go from no houses to eight, now to this. And so he's like, okay, I will help you out with this. And, you know, I know the game plan. 
So he had a little bit of skin in the game in that um, he didn't buy in, which I, I regret. I would have, in retrospect, I would have made sure he bought in. Now, it hasn't affected any performance, and he's been fantastic. That's just one of those things where I look at it and think, well, I won't do that again. Next time, you got to buy in. Um, but uh, so the downside for the management really has been, um, for us, has been when we moved in, some of the, I think the average rent was like 490 <clears throat> That's too low. Now markets are different, but um, when you have, so the idea was we were going to raise the rents to 600 over the next two years, whatever. And so um, that all sounds good, but it's hard to get a $600 tenant in there when the neighbor's paying 480. And then the quality of tenant between those two is different, especially in my market. The $600 mark is really uh, noticeable. And so, you know, like we have one side of the building that's really nice. And the other side of the building, we have a couple of people that just leave trash all over the place. And so we have like extra expense for, um, you know, picking up trash because I don't want it there. I got to get it cleaned up, but it's like always. It's like, so you got to get these people out because it's not everyone. It's just a couple of these knuckleheads. Um, so there's been some challenges with, um, with managing it, but a lot of it is just um, uh, the, the, the deal size. Not the deal size, but like both the deal size. If there were three bedroom properties, right, then it had been the rents would have been higher and the quality tenant would have been higher, but we probably wouldn't have been able to afford it. So you got like that. It's all that, like it's such a very complicated blend of like what can you do because you want to you want to do something you can do, and then like well, what risks are you willing to take when you do that? So I think the twenty four unit, you know, it's it's inefficient. One hundred and twenty units on site management that would have been better, but for me, at least my opinion is you got to grow into it. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're, I mean, you've got, like you said, the experience now you have raised money. You've gone through the whole process of the commercial lending. You've got a larger building under your belt. I mean, that's something that I think is kind of a a big hurdle. I just went to look at a 24 unit today and I had to convince the seller, you know, via his broker to let me see it. Cause he was like, Oh, you're only in twos and fours. You're, you're not serious. I was like, well, but I am, I I really am. And here's why, and here's what I can show you. And I had to state my case to be able to even go see that property. So, so there's definitely, it might be a stepping stone situation. Um, but that's exciting. I mean, that's where I want to be is somewhere around that for my next one, knowing it is not a hundred (laughs) percent efficient or as efficient as some of these larger ones. Um, Can I give you some advice? Yeah, please. Do you know what helped me? Because when you send that LOI over, right? When you send that LOI over, they have to look at you and say, well, can Megan close? I don't want to tie this property up for 60 days and waste everybody's time. So can Megan close? So when I sent the LOI over, I sent over a brag sheet, which is fairly common. Well, I put my website on there and turns out halfway through the deal, the, uh, or a little after we got the thing under offer, um, I heard from the seller and he's like, dude, I looked at your website. And it's amazing. Hey. And, and that's why, and I wanted to, and he's like, I just, I saw, I, I saw what you're doing and I'm, I just want to be part of that story. And so what I'll tell people is, and that's one of the things I did right. I don't know if I could have done this deal had I not done that. So what I tell, what I'll advise you and you do, you do so much social media already. So like mm-hmm. when you do the, when you do the LOI, tell your story and people will be, want, want to be part of it. That helped me out so much. And now it's gone even bigger. Um, so last year I've cranked out on my website and it's like, when I send somebody there to be like multifamily, like the, the brag sheet's called, I'm a sure thing. Like I'm going to close <laughs> this deal. If I put it, if I, if I put the offer in. That's great. And I love that, that the brag sheet. I hope everybody writes that note down because that's not something that you're thinking about with the two and four families. Although maybe in the sense, you know, in, in the 
hotter markets, you've seen a lot of these letters people are trying to write to the sellers. But I think the brag sheet sounds a bit more of a, a professional approach to something like that. So <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you title it. So what, what was it? Why I'm a sure deal? <laughs> I'm a sure thing. Yeah. I'm a sure thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. All right. So Alex, tell us a little bit about kind of what the, the end game or the, the plan is with this 24 unit. Cause it sounds like there's some value add going on. And then it sounds like you'll probably try to parlay that into something bigger going forward. What's your plan going forward? So when we got into this thing, um, I realized real quick that we were optimistic because the tenant, um, the tenant pays were late and all this stuff. And then we didn't raise enough money. So we kind of hobbled along and we couldn't really, um, uh, turn around as quick as I wanted. Um, and so I said, you know what, let me not get ahead of myself. I see people in this business that go, they buy the first one. And then within six months, they bought a second one and that's all fine and good. But like, it takes time for you to realize how these things really run. And so I said, look, I don't want to get my ego to be cash and checks that, uh, to be writing checks that I can't get cash. So I said, when we started to figure out this thing was going to be a little bit difficult, I said, let's give it a year because then we're going to have that double insurance escrow payment come off. We'll be cash flowing well. We'll have it more stabilized. We'll get a year, then we'll start looking. So June 16th was a year. Well, we started looking more. And then I, I you know, I hang out with guys like Matt Faircloth, a good buddy of mine who introduces me to just, I'm very lucky. He introduces <laughs> me to people in the business. And so um, next thing you know, I got a broker who's like, oh, I got a 52 minute in your town. And, uh, and, and here's another thing I did. The first one, we were just, you know, guessing. The second time, what I knew right away is we need to have an extremely specific criteria. Not, oh, I want 10 to 100 units somewhere in the Southeast. Like, that's nothing. No, no, no. What I said was we need 30 to 40 units, B class, seven cap, 650 or 750 average rents, two ones or better. Right? Like, that's what I wanted. So this thing shows up and it's basically 100% that. So I was like, okay, now now I'm not just grasping. Now I, I kind of have this planned. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of bouncing around. Uh, the 24 units though. mostly is mostly stabilized. Um, we have the last two tenants, um, last two trouble tenants that we're, we're working through. And, um, and I think that thing's going to be fine and kicking off cash flow um, for the, for the future. So we're set and stable. Um, the goal now is uh, how do you parlay that into the next one? Um, and I, I, one of the first things I told you is like the confidence, the confidence, the confidence, the confidence. If you're confident, like, dude, this, everything is a sell. You got to sell the bank. You got to sell your investors. You got to sell the seller. <laughs> right. And it's like all these things. And if you're the lead now, you don't have to be the lead, but yeah, Megan, you know me, I'm this, I could not let anybody else be in charge. Right. So, uh, <laughs> speaking of ego. So, um, so, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to run point on this deal. So now that's all given my, because I took the time, I went slow, I learned, right. And I knew that the thing uh, is going off. Well, I found the correct criteria. Now I'm in the right deal. Now, um, I feel much more confident. And so for the last few weeks I've made, um, I have content coming out about this actually, our first year in multifamily. And, but now what I've done is I went and talked to the bank earlier. Now, again, this is a much bigger deal. This is a $3 million-ish deal. So banks, well, I'm going to get a much better rate, but the banks are a lot more, they care more. Right. Right. They care more. It's like a oh, 750 grand. Yeah, here you go. Right. Oh, two and a half million. Woo, hang, on, woo, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. What are you going to do here? Right. And so that scale, that scales as well. So we talked to the yeah. banks earlier. We're getting, we're getting our earlier underwriting, um, uh, commitments and we're negotiating harder with the bank um, from the outset. I'm doing yeah. soft raise for the money. Now I got to raise a lot more, but I'm actually less scared, 
right? Because the deal's better. I have, I've had, I've reached out to more people to come check on my, both my underwriting and the deal itself, the property to make sure that, um, to make sure that's an asset that, you know, if you got somebody that you respect, come look at the deal and be like, yeah, I buy that deal. It's like, that makes it easier. Right. If you got somebody you respect says, I wouldn't buy that deal. And then you buy it anyways. And then it's hard. You're like, what do you think is going to happen? Hot shot. Right. So <laughs> having that network really matters. Now I say all this, like I'm working again on the equity side, I'm working on the debt side. I'm working on, um, uh, the, the, uh, the underwriting with my partner. I'm getting all this stuff ready. And we had, we didn't have an LOI in yet. I also work with the broker a lot closer on this deal um, to make sure that we kind of knew what was going to be possible before we, we went in. Because once you put that earnest money down, like the pressure's on. Um, and, and that's okay. Uh, because again, as you get better, brokers will deal with you more. They'll send you more pocket picks. Like it's a very cascading, uh, cascading thing, but that's kind of where I'm at now. And like I said, I told you, I think before we got on the show, uh, I talked to my broker an hour ago today and I'm, I'm expecting a, a soft, commitment come over from him for us, excuse me, from the bank. And so once that comes in, we'll put the LOI in. I'm fairly certain it'll get um, accepted because I know how to write it with confidence. I know that I'm confident about doing the, um, the back end and mm-hmm. freaking next time I'm on the show, I'll have it. Awesome. So Alex, what's this, when did you first get this 52 unit lead from that broker? Well, that's a good question. Um, I went with, I went to Winston-Salem to look at a 336 unit with uh, Matt Faircloth, mm-hmm. um, who, let me tell you something. If you want to do multifamilies, you got to start hanging out with multifamily people, not single family people. Mm-hmm. And so just hang, Hey, can I come? I mean, you know me, I got my camera. I'm a, I'm a photographer. So yeah. I'm like, Hey, let me do some video for you guys. I'll take some drone photos for free. Right. Yeah. But then who's there? Who's there while he's there? He had, he had his due diligence team was 15 people for four days. Wow. Well, one of them was the broker. So I'm sitting there talking to the broker. I think that was maybe a month ago. Okay. So a month between the time I, I heard about the deal, I reached out to the broker. He started emailing me. It's been about three weeks that I've been screwing around with it. Too long. <laughs> but, but again, like I don't have that ego. Like you got to close this deal. Move fast at any cost. I don't have that. It's like if this deal goes, I'll get the next one. I feel more confident about making sure I stick to them. Everybody else is on my schedule. <laughs> well, and right? I ask that, yeah, for sure. <laughs> We're all just living in your world, Alex. Right. <laughs> no, but, you know, I asked that question because something I'm noticing is that the pace feels different in multifamily too, at least compared to how single family has been for the past several years and, and where, you know, many of us have started in single family with things being pretty hot. I mean, a lot of times when you're finding a good deal where it makes sense, you see it come on the market, you're seeing it within 48 hours and hopefully making an offer within that 48 hours too. And it's just boom, boom, boom. It's still, it's different in multifamily. Um, and it sounds like that's what you're seeing. Josiah, would you say you see, see that as well from what you've been looking yeah, at so far? I mean, yeah, we, we've, been, we've been working our butt off trying to land stuff off market. We're looking at broker stuff. We were the high bidder on one recently. Still didn't get it because the second high bidder put down more earnest money. I mean, it's all kinds of craziness. Um, somebody put a post up yesterday on Instagram about how they've been, you know, they're just spinning their wheels trying to get deals right now. So I'm happy to hear, Alex, that you're getting one because it's it's fuel for the fire of the rest of us that are hunting these things. So, um, but I know it's very challenging. Interest rates are low and it's no secret that multifamily is a great place to invest. And, you know, people... I think there's two different ways you can view the current situation. People like, pe- some people like to say, oh, multifamily is overheated. You should stay away from it. The other side of the coin for me is 
you know, multifamily is a great place to invest money and hang on. And that's why it's so competitive right now. So um, really, when you look at the macro picture with what the Fed has done with the money supply, I don't see how real estate can't go up in value. So, um, uh, you said it. And you yeah. said it. When you go when you go to the bigger deals, uh, the Fed, you really need to, if you don't understand how the Federal Reserve or you're not paying attention to what the Federal Reserve is doing, you're missing a very important piece to uh, your your future. So uh, I love that you said that because that's what I was going to, uh, I was going to interrupt you and say it. Um, <laughs> um, to your point, Megan, like um, with the single families, right? It's like, dude, there's so much liquidity out there. There's so much cheap money out there that like, even if you make a bad deal, somebody can run up and spend a hundred grand on a rental overpay and just take it down. It's just harder to spend. To, if you want to take down a multifamily and pay cash, it's like, what are you going to, what are you going to do? You can take down a million dollars and just spending cash. <laughs> Not, it's just less likely that somebody would do that because it's inefficient use of capital. So now you need a bank. Well, now it's going to take longer. Right. And like Josiah said about like LOIs, it's like not, you're not going to get accepted just because it's the highest price. People want to make sure you can close and they want to make sure you have more skin in the game. It's a much more complicated process. So just running around writing checks is, um, is less, um, just as less of it, uh, uh, people that are able to do that. The other thing is, and this is an interesting, um, the reason that we like this property is because we know that it's mismanaged and we know that our management company can um, run it really efficiently. It's in our town, but it's not so big that out-of-state money is going to screw with it. Nobody's going to come in and buy a 52 unit unless they have somebody here because that's what they're doing now. And, it's being, and, they're, and they're trying to get out of it because they're like, we can't, it's too inefficient because we have to hire a third-party company that we don't really know. They're overcharging us, blah, 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 blah. So I think if you get to that 100 unit plus, then you start with a bigger pool of competition. But if you're in that, you know, 75, to, uh, 30 to 75, they're less efficient. But if it's in your town, you, you may have an advantage because like right now, as far as I know, which is certainly, I don't know everybody, but I know a lot of real estate people in town. I know a lot of real estate people in town. I know two people who would buy this, this property, me and one other guy. And that other guy is posting every day about how he's in Ohio looking at 200 units. He's not screwing around with this anymore. So I'm pretty sure I am the buyer for this. So when you look at your criteria, right? Like you need to tell the story. Like, and that's what I told the broker. And he's like, you, you're right. You, this sounds perfect. So when you develop your criteria, it should be, it should be structured in a way that matches your skill levels and, and a, and a narrative trajectory that sounds like, yeah, this is why we're the right fit. And so when you sell it, it's like, uh, when you sell that story to somebody, it makes sense. And then, um, because it makes sense, um, you may be able to find like your little, your little sweet advantages in there. So when we do the underwriting, our underwriting advantage versus an out-of-state buyer is like, I think it's like, well, compared to the other buyer, it's about an 8% swing in expense ratio hmm. right off the bat, just because we're local and, and I'm four minutes up the street. Wow. So, yeah, so you hit on something just then that I was, I was talking a little bit about earlier, which I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I've been given exact opposite of advice from, from very successful apartment investors, multifamily investors. One person said, don't buy anything below 75 units. It's inefficient. <laughs> it's inefficient. It's not a good use of your time. The other investor said, that's terrible advice. Get started by buying something small and scale up. You're obviously gaining momentum by buying small and scaling up. And I know, and I honestly think this happens a lot in real estate. You'll have two different pieces of advice that are almost opposite of each other. And you just got to figure out what works for you. Um, so, so what are your thoughts? Like if you were to go back and do it again, 
having the 24 unit, knowing what you went through to get that one done, you're now working on this 50 unit. Would you, would you take the same steps? And what would you say to the guy who says only buy 75 units or bigger? So if you buy 75 units, let's say it's a $5 million building, you need to raise 2.1 million. Can you get the 2.1 million? So let's, so no. let's, so let's go so, smaller. Yeah. So <laughs> let's assume the guy, let's assume you're bringing in a, uh, somebody, somebody who's going to work with you on it. that can raise money. That's also part of the GP or whatever. Sure. So, okay. Now, say, can you run, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I'd say, yeah. I mean like, look from a, from a money efficiency standpoint, go as big as you possibly can. Right. But we're not talking about just about a money efficiency standpoint. We're talking about there's talent, there's talent. Like there's, there's human capital here that makes a big difference. And so it's like, dude, some people are not competent enough to do this straight up. Some people just do not have the talents to do it. Now they might want to, right. But they can't. So it's like, go be a G, go be a LP and a deal. That's what you really need to do. Um, now if you're a GP and you're a competent fella and you don't have that many resources like me, right. You got to grind. And so that means you take the biggest deal down you can without, and you stretch your talents as much as you can, but you got to start somewhere like, and, and so, so I, I posited this, right? So I say, go, don't buy anything less than 75 units. It's like, okay, fine. Well, you're going to grind for the equity. Fine. You got, it. you're going to grind for the, um, the debt. Okay, fine. It's like, how long are you going to spend on that? And, and then people don't take your LOI because they're like, we're doing, we're not giving you this on your first deal. We're not giving you the money for the eight, for the 70 units. And we're not going to give you the debt. And so it's like, how long are you going to spend your wheels in that? It's like, go get the 24 unit, get the experience and then, and then climb. So I, I don't think either answer is right or wrong, or I think they're, they're, they're right and wrong in a vacuum. So it's like, yes, buy 75 plus units. In fact, buy as big as you possibly can from a money efficiency standpoint, but we're not talking about just money efficiency standpoint. We're talking about a complex set of who's on your team. Like not everybody knows the same people. So you gotta, you gotta make do with what you, in some ways you have to do with what you have and you have to do it in a timely manner because you can spend a whole lifetime being like, I won't buy anything less than 80 units. And you build yourself a freaking prison (laughs) for no reason. Mm. Go buy the 20 unit or whatever, get it done. It's not efficient. Fine. But you learn now you can take those skills. You have some credibility. You know, you have to have your social media game um, running in my opinion um, so that people know who you are. Um, I'm not a big fan of extremes answers or yes or no answers. I would say, I'd say, I'd say both of those are right from different perspectives. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I I think that point too, about building yourself a prison, that's huge for anybody looking to get started in anything. I mean, if you decide that that's all you're going to do, that's all that's worth it. And so you're just, like you said, stashing as much capital as you can in some savings accounts for years and years and years, trying to build up enough to buy a bigger property or trying to cobble together these teams when everyone wants to work with someone who has some experience. I mean, your money is wasting away, maybe making one and a half to two percent in a savings account. Your talents are not growing because you're not actually acting on anything. That's inefficient. I think that's probably a heck of a lot more inefficient than a 24 or 52 unit. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of factors to take into consideration for sure. And meanwhile, the deal, and the meanwhile, the prices of how the deals are going up. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the saying that I think all of us have heard a million times, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. Got to just go and do it. Well, the funny, yeah. you know, the funny thing about the guy who told me, cause I, I was, I've been attacking this the same way you are. Okay. Um, the funny thing about the guy that told me to start 75 units or bigger 
is that he started small as well. And that was, <laughs> that was one thing I asked him. I was like, okay, well, I hear what you're saying. It's a little bit different than what I've been kind of the assumption I've been operating under. Um, but you started with small deals, didn't you? And he was like, yeah, and they're just so inefficient. And I'm like, yeah, but it got you where you are, right? So, right. I mean, <laughs> sell me on why I shouldn't do the same thing you're doing because you're in a place that I want to be, right? So uh, that's why I've been asking you these questions. I, I just think it's interesting to try to reason through it, you know, because you hear this, oh, the management, it's so much more efficient the larger you get. But you're like, yeah, but you got to get to the point where you can get the larger deals. And if you can't get to that point, you just spin your wheels and you don't get anything. The prices keep going up. You're not making any progress, right? So, yeah, I th- thanks for sharing all that with us, Alex. Yeah, there's so many inefficiencies. I mean, people act like, oh, going small is the only inefficiency. It's like, dude, every time I do labor, it's inefficient, <laughs> right? There's so many things. You're like, what's the value of the sweat equity, right? Like, it's inefficient, yeah, but it's got a tremendous amount of compounding value over the years because it's like, like I said, once you know how to do it, it's like, oh, that was an inefficient use of time. It's like, yeah, but I, I had the experience forever. So over time, mm-hmm. you know, my favorite example is the army. It's like, it's a really lousy paying job. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then four years, you do four years and you get a GI bill. You get a VA loan for the rest of your life. You get VA disability, most likely for the rest of your life. I look at the army four years. I'm like, that's the highest paying job I'll ever have by a long shot. Right. Because it compounds over time. And so the 24 units like inefficient, but I can't do 50 without it. Mm-hmm. So I don't, uh, people that, you know, Grant Cardone does that too, right? Don't buy anything less than 16. Don't buy anything less than whatever, 16 units. Like, dude, that guy bought, he bought a duplex. And then he realized, <laughs> yeah, and then he exactly. realized, right. And so, um, so again, from a, a money, from a resources efficiency standpoint, yes, um, go as big as you can. But like the world doesn't work on infinite resources. It works on, like, on in, a resource scarcity and everybody has a, a network and you should, you should audit that network. Um, often and you should be building that network often in fact that's my angle like that's what i do most is work on people um you want to work on your debt side which is actually quite a bit harder um but network with loan brokers network with lenders you want to work with um uh the, the deal brokers you want to like you're not going to have perfect equity debt and uh, broker side so you make do with what you have and when the deal comes along that's close enough that you can take it down like you do it. And then it's also like, dude, it's not a, it's not a single, it's not zero sum. It's not a single, it's not a single track game. So it's like, Oh, if you, if, if you buy a 24 unit, like I did and you're like, Oh, it's harder than I thought. And I made a little bit of inefficiency. It's like, okay, fine. Well, I'll go, I, I have another bat. I can go play again and I can go get a different one. And you know what, when I buy this 52 unit, I'm going to come back on the show. I'm like, Hey, look, I made all these mistakes. It was inefficient. I went off about 150 unit and guess what? I, I know I'm Nostradamus here, right? When I buy the 150 units, like, you know, what I should have done, I should have bought 300. Right, like this is a never-ending game. To say um, uh, the, the efficiency of scales is, is, is infinite, so there's no like perfect. You make do with what you have with the resources. Now you should be working to audit those resources, make sure you're always getting better at them. But dude, like when you're at yep. bat swing. Yep, I love that, and I think that everyone who takes that mentality goes a heck of a lot further than those who sit there and analyze the math efficiencies or inefficiencies of certain things forever and just never take the action. So, and we've got that military background, you and I, Alex. So I think that we probably come at it from the same perspective because of that. So glad to hear it. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. Um, Before we leave, we've got a couple quick questions for you. And the the first one is kind of a funny one that we're, we're asking everyone. This is Josiah's favorite. If today I were to cut you a $10 million check with the stipulation that if you take it, you can never touch real estate again. You can't do anything in real estate or real estate related. 
would you take the check? Sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Tell us why. Well, so real estate is a really good vehicle, but I don't, I like real estate. I'm using real estate, but like, I don't want to die as a real estate guy. Okay. <laughs> I like the, the idea of diversification. Um, $10 million. Um, I buy a lot of equities, right? I mean, Amazon yeah. is going to crush over the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook. I mean, these, these are sure deals. Uh, I'd buy, I'd invest in marijuana for sure. Mm -hmm. That's like that, mm -hmm. uh, most of it, in yeah. fact. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, and I don't invest any of that, uh, myself right now, but I don't have an extra $10 million laying around. And I would, uh, it's going to sound crazy. I don't know enough about it, but there's definitely a, there's definitely some, there's definitely some usefulness in buying crypto. So, yeah, that's um, an that's a, one. those are pretty, three pretty different things. Uh, I think commercial real estate is going to be, um, struggling anyways, uh, commercial retail and, um, yeah, the money is definitely in, uh, in, on the equity side is in tech. Um, and then, yeah, that's my, yeah. those are my three, those okay. are my three that I would, and I'm off the, like, I haven't, I didn't plan this answer or anything. So <laughs> no, we cuff. don't tell it. So everyone knows we don't tell anybody that we're going to ask them this. And especially yeah. since none of we're about to launch our first episode. Uh, so no one's no, heard it yet to be able to get the sneak peek at this question. But okay, it's interesting well, to hear. Like, no, no, no. There, there, the there are different camps. There's some people who like the love of the real estate and what they can do with it is too strong. And there are other people where the love of the money game in general, you know, they, they know they can do other things with it. It's always interesting to hear the different perspectives and, and which camp people fall in. Um, but with all that, you mentioned that you're, you're really into the people side of things and into the content generation. So before we go, take a few minutes, tell everyone where they can find you, all the different things they're working on. I thought about listing them out at the beginning, but there's a lot of them. So I'm just going to let you do it. <laughs> I do a lot of stuff. I can't believe yeah. I do it because I, uh, I consider myself <laughs> to be extraordinarily lazy. Uh, but somehow, I, somehow I get a lot done. So I started a website in 2017 called brokersofchoice.com. Brokersofchoice.com. Brokeisachoice.com. And it's kind of a personal blog now, but it's basically just my story. I don't sell anything there. I don't have any courses. I'm not, I don't have a book. I'm not soliciting anything. You can go there. You can see all my deals in extreme trans, uh, transparency. Um, and I do that just to leave breadcrumbs to help the next person. Um, you can video chat me there. I am a big, bigger pockets, uh, fan. I write for them. I did a, started a video web series for them. I don't know if you've seen it yet where I interview investors. I have. Uh, that's on YouTube because I cool. do videography Good. on the side as a kind of a passion project. So I'd love a subscribe to the bigger pockets channel or my YouTube channel or both. Um, and I'm the co-host of the uh, From Military to Millionaire podcast with David Perret. And uh, he's a fantastic human being. And I don't know how I got that gig either, but that's been very fun. So you can find me lots of places. That's awesome. Yeah. And we're actually going to have David on pretty soon here as well. So I uh, definitely want to reach out to both of you. And we're excited to hear from both of you guys. Oh, well, he's not as good as real estate as me, but it's, it's adorable <laughs> to watch him try. <laughs> <laughs> And in case anyone hasn't gotten this yet, hasn't gleaned it from listening to Alex, he is the world's most modest person. And so you can add that to his list. <laughs> so, no, it's, we my, always... it's, my hum it's my humility that it's my humility that makes me so great. <laughs> <laughs> we, I always have fun interacting with you through some of the conferences we've been on virtually so far and online. It's great to talk with you today. Thank you so much for coming on, Alex. And we 100% will want to have you back after that 52 unit is closed and you've, you've gotten through whatever your plans are for that. Okay, thank you. Here's hoping. Thank you very much. 
Thanks for tuning in to Multifamily Mavericks. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and share it with your friends. It helps us grow, which helps us find great guests, which in turn helps you grow. And don't forget to connect with us on LinkedIn or on Instagram at Multifamily Mavericks, at Daily Real Estate Investor, at Part-Time Empire. Join us next time to keep learning the multifamily game and scale up to financial freedom.